Exodus chapter number 20 in our series on the Ten Commandments. We've been walking through this for some time now, and we are on the Ninth Commandment. Well, if you're in Exodus 20, say amen tonight. Amen. amen. A columnist. Let's, let's read the verse first, and then I'll, I'll get into it. Uh, look at verse number 16, so you know where we're going here. The Bible says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That's the ninth command. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Columnist for the Time Magazine wrote this. He said, The command against bearing false witness, branded in stone and brought down by Moses from the mountaintop, has always provoked conflicting emotions. On one hand, nearly everybody condemns lying. On the other, nearly everyone does it every day. Then he asked this question in his article. How many of the Ten Commandments can be broken so easily and with so little risk of detection? This this command that teaches us to not lie. He asked that very pointed question and it's true. How many of the Ten Commandments can be broken so easily and with so little risk of detection? I mean, he says thou shalt not murder. Well, you can't really get away with murder that easily. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's, it's harder to get away with adultery. Thou shalt not steal. We can get away with stealing a little easier than the two I just mentioned, but not as easily as you can just lying. Lying, even in the Bible, is fairly common. We, we see lies from the start of Scripture to the end, don't we? The serpent was the first liar. Abraham lied, and Jacob lied, and Laban lied, and David lied, and Peter lied, and Judas lied. And Ananias and Sapphira lied. And it's just all throughout the pages of Scripture. In fact, I would say that lying is about as natural to the human as any sin we commit. Truth-telling has to be taught. Lying never has to be taught. Think about it. Part of how we recognize children's maturity in our sin-cursed world is their ability to lie. Like we know they're getting smarter when they're able to start tricking us. Right? They're getting older. They're getting smarter when they figure out how to lie. Deceit is something that comes as naturally to our children as teeth and hair. But this isn't how the world's always been. Lying's a result of the fall. The the fall is what made the whole human race subject to lying. I'm ready. I'm ready for the world to return back to Eden. I don't know about you. But I'm, I'm ready for the day... When, when God ushers in the new heaven and the new earth and, and it's just like what Eden was. Where we're not going to lie anymore or even face that temptation. In fact, we're going to sing a song to close our service tonight that talks about that day when lying won't even be an issue. But now it is because we're in a fallen world. And that's why God felt it so necessary. It's so natural for us. And so he felt it necessary to conclude to include in the ten Commandments. So to help us to understand this tonight and apply this tonight, we're going to ask four questions. Okay. Number one, what does the ninth command mean? Number two, how do we violate the ninth command? Number three, why should telling the truth be important to Christians? And number four, how do we nurture truth telling in our souls? So I think this will help us take what God meant for the Israelites as chosen people initially thousands and thousands of years ago 
and help us put it right onto our streets and lanes and avenues and boulevards tonight. Question number one, what does the ninth command mean? What does it mean? What's interesting about the wording of this command is it, is it doesn't say thou shalt not lie, does it? Doesn't say that. It's specifically written in judicial terms. It's written in the context of a courtroom. Thou shalt not bear false witness. What does that mean? To bear false witness means to give false testimony. See, the, the ancient legal setting rested almost solely on the reliability of a witness. In those days, people charged with a crime had very little legal protection. Today in our legal system, people are viewed as innocent until proven guilty, or at least they're supposed to be. In their world, though, here, people were typically guilty until proven innocent. There were few standards for the presentation of evidence, and sometimes the accused didn't even get the chance to mount a defense. Most ancient courts were willing to convict and sentence on the strength of one single testimony or witness. That means that in the days before forensic evidence, like we have today, everything depended on the character of the one testifying. And then many crimes, to make it even more consequential, many crimes in the Old Testament, if you've studied the Torah, they were treated as capital offenses. So get the implications of this. The words, just the words, the spoken words of one false witness in court could mean the wrongful death of a neighbor. That's heavy. Now, they needed this judicial system. There there could be no social stability without a good justice system in their day. But the justice system could only be whole if people didn't give false witness. Now, God would eventually require in the book of Deuteronomy and and Numbers that his people have two witnesses for for any significant crime. But, But for now in Exodus... God established that every witness in the courtroom be honest because the livelihood of the neighbor depended on it. Now, if, now you just put yourself in their sandals for a second. Let's say you're the one on trial. And, and your neighbor was the single witness. The only piece of evidence that, that, that the jury was going to base their sentence on and their verdict on. You would be desperately hoping that neighbor told the truth, Right. Your livelihood is in their hands. That that is the weight of this command to this original audience. But here's what we have to realize. Courtrooms are not the only place where people can give false testimony today. Remember the the whole picture of the Ten Commandments. Don't, Don't miss this. The whole picture of the Ten Commandments. What they forbid here is often the most extreme form of a particular sin. So so murder is the worst form of hatred, right? God said, don't murder. Adultery is the most destructive kind of sexual immorality. God said, do not commit adultery. False testimony is the most dangerous kind of lying, but it's not the only way to lie. So what are some ways that we can violate the ninth command in our lives today outside of the courtroom? By the way, if you go in the courtroom, tell the truth. Still applies to us today. Put your hand on the Bible and say, I'm going to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, you know, whatever. So help me God. Tell the truth. Like really, that, that, that directly applies to us because some of you might find your way in court and don't lie your way out of trouble. Be honest. But we have a lot more opportunities to lie outside of the courtroom in our day. 
and as believers. So question two, how do we violate the ninth command? Before we get into the ways we lie, let me share this statistic with you so you're aware of how much this actually applies to you. Studies show that the average person lies four times a day. Did you lie four times a day today? Did you lie at all today? You just lied. You just lied. There's one study done by the University of Massachusetts that says 60% of people cannot make it through a 10-minute conversation with a stranger without lying. Some type of embellishment of themselves or exaggeration of a story or something like that. So I think all of us fall under the umbrella of violating this command. There's not a single one of us that says, you know what, I just never lie. You do. You just might be surprised in how you do it. Think about the ways in which we lie. First of all, we tell lies. No, no, that's, that's the expected one. Lies generally come out of our mouth. And let's just get it out of the way right up front. The obvious one is we just tell outright lies that aren't true. That's the most common way to lie that in, in F Fellowship Baptist Academy, that's like its own category um, in our demerit system. Like lying has its own punishment. And, and normally what we're talking about with that, if a kid just outright blatantly tells us what he knows is not true. Okay, that's the, that's the automatic application. But there's other not so obvious ways that, that we lie. We kind of polish it and paint it a little bit. One of those ways is through exaggeration. Exaggeration is lying, is it not? Fundamentally, lying is not telling the truth. So, so exaggerating a story is in some ways violating the ninth command. Telling only half of the truth is, is a way that we violate the ninth command. Spinning the truth in our favor is a way to violate the ninth command. A, a once popular TV and radio host always began his show by telling his audience this, you're about to enter the no spin zone. A promise which is then ironically followed by the host giving his spin on the news of the day. We all give our spin. If that spin is not fully true, it's a lie. We can overstretch our accomplishments to make ourselves look or feel better, can't we? While at the same time, we can exaggerate the flaws of others to make them look worse than they really are. Both are dishonest. We can twist somebody's words. Now, this is a really dangerous thing to do, especially when we're emotionally involved in a situation. I found this to be most common when somebody gets their feelings hurt. All of a sudden, a stern tone is twisted to be, they were yelling at me. Or, or a phrase that could be interpreted a couple ways, more than to, nope, they had to have meant it like that. Whether we realize it or not, especially when we're engaged in some sort of conflict, we intuitively know how to pass along information with a certain implied tone that just might not be true. Another way we lie is when we pass along false information about a person or about a situation. I found this to be true in all sorts of public debates and historical facts. People share facts that literally have no basis. Like wait 30 minutes after eating to get back into the swimming pool. That is a lie from the pits of hell, folks. Don't tell your kids that. In all seriousness, be careful not to share facts that are unsubstantiated. Just because your friend said something doesn't mean it's true. 
Just because you saw something on Facebook doesn't mean it's true. That should automatically put a red flag up. And just because your parents told you all growing up something doesn't mean it's true. Right? Amen, mom and dad? See, we often believe and share those falsehoods. Here's why. Because our brains are not wired to investigate the truth. Our brains instead want to find confirmation for what we already assume to be true. It's called confirmation bias. You can find anything or anybody to agree with you if you look hard enough. I found one way to keep myself from doing this, passing along false information hastily, is simply to wait. Wait for more information. It's always better to wait than to speak. We, we like, we have this obsession today of being like the first one to have information, of knowing. It gives us a sense of power or importance. But get this, early information is often imperfect or incomplete information. Early information is usually not the full story. So wait. Before you repeat, wait, wait, wait. Here's another way we can lie. Violate the ninth command. We cheat. Cheating is a lie. Cheating on a test. Cheating on the time clock. Cheating on a cell at work. Fudging the numbers. That's a lie. We can lie by not telling the truth when we're asked about where we were. Or what we were doing. Or what we really said. Or why we were late. We can also lie to ourselves. We can do this by rationalizing or justifying our sin. If we do something we shouldn't have done or we say something we shouldn't have said or we spend our money in a way that we know we shouldn't have or we treat our spouse or our children in a way that was wrong or if we don't do something or we don't say something that we should have done or said, we'll often deal with that conviction by telling ourselves that we're justified in how we handle that situation. We'll figure out an argument in our own head that we always win. We'll justify that we have the right to say that. And we have the right to make them feel that way. We're really good at lying to ourselves. We're our best defense attorneys. But we don't just violate the ninth command by telling lies. Here's a second one. We live a lie. That's another way to violate the ninth command. By living a lie. To some... It might look like you're the perfect Christian guy at church. But in private, you could be in bondage to addiction. That's a lie. Maybe you try hard to be the perfect mom. Man, you keep the house as perfect as you can on the outside. You post Facebook posts of filters and, and you know, just everything's put together. And your coffee cup and your Bible. And your kids are always matching. And they never have snotty noses. But inside you're deeply depressed and discouraged. Maybe you and your spouse act like you have everything together. But at home you're constantly fighting and clashing and neither really wants to get help. Maybe you act friendly on the outside. But on the inside you're bitter and you're hurt and you're holding a grudge. Maybe you attend church and you act the part of a Christian There's not really any evidence of salvation. Friend, listen, living a lie, it gets hard after a while. Hard. Ask King David. 
He lived a life for over a year. Committed adultery and then committed murder to try to cover it up. And he, he wrote a song after that was all said and done. You can read it in Psalms 32. And he said that in the time in which he was living a lie, here's what he confessed. His bones were wasting away. You know what that means? He was aging. He also said that his strength was sapped like he was working outside in the summer heat. That's, that's kind of the poetic language that he used, the illustrations that he used in Psalms 32. In other words, here's what he's saying. Living a lie was hard on my body. Physically hard. It was terribly stressful as well. It was emotionally overwhelming. See, those are some ways that I think we tend to violate the ninth command. By telling lies, by living lies. But let's go to the third question because it asks a really important question. Why is telling the truth so important? And more specifically, why should truth telling be important to Christians, to believers, to those that are saved, children of God, in God's family? Three reasons why this should be important to you if you know Christ. Number one, God hates lying. He hates it. How do you know? Well, Proverbs 12, verse 22 tells us. Lying lips are abomination to God. Lying lips are abomination to God. As Christians, our aim is to glorify the Lord. It's to please the Lord, meaning we should strive to to stay as far away from anything that displeases him as we can. Especially those things that his word says he hates. I'd go one step further. The Christian ought to hate the sin that God hates. Not just abstain from it. But it ought to give you an internal disgust. Now we ought never to hate the sinner. God has never hated a sinner. We should always hate the sin. We should have this this disgust for the things that grieve God. And that includes lying. Even in ways that don't feel as sinful to us. I read this hypothetical example in an article yesterday. And it was interesting. It helps me understand why we should hate what God hates. The author said this, imagine a man whose brother had been murdered. Imagine going to his home to sort out his belongings. In the course of going through the tool shed, he finds the murder weapon, a bloody knife. The author asked, can you imagine the man cleaning off the knife and putting it in his own shed? Of course not. The author said he couldn't bear to set his eyes upon that knife, much less use it. The instrument of his brother's death must be far away from him because he hates it with an overflowing hatred. So too it must be for us Christians who who behold the knife of sin, the, the knife of lying in our context tonight. We shouldn't clinch that sin. We shouldn't harbor that sin. We shouldn't love that sin. We shouldn't delight in that sin. We shouldn't even want to look at that sin because lying was one of the sinful instruments that killed Jesus Christ. We ought to hate it. Have a holy disgust for it. But lying has become one of those respectable sins, hasn't it? One of those things that we almost don't even feel when we're doing it. Because we have learned to lie in what we feel are sanctified, respectable ways. And God looks at all forms of lying the same. Abomination. You know why people don't repent of their sin? They don't hate it. 
They don't hate it. People keep lying because they don't hate lying. Number two, here's why you should pursue truth. Lying is in direct opposition to the very nature of God. It's not only that he hates it, it's just totally opposite of who he is. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. The book of Titus says God cannot lie. Hebrews says that it's impossible for God to lie. Meaning he is by nature a truth teller and he cannot be anything different than that. Satan, on the other hand, the Bible calls him what? The father of lies. He's the, he's a master in the language of deceit. He's fluent in the language of lying. What does that mean? That means we're most like God when we tell the truth, but we're most like Satan when we tell a lie. Our job as Christians, our purpose as Christians is to reflect the image of Christ. The nature of God, not the character of Satan. J.I. Packer explains it this way. Lying insults not only your neighbor, but also God whom you can never fool. A truth-telling, promise-keeping God who cannot lie and who wants to see in us his own moral image naturally hates lying. It is a part of Satan's image, not God's. Here's another reason why you shouldn't lie or want to pursue truth because you're a Christian. Lying brings the Christian into bondage. Just consider Jacob in the book of Genesis. His very name means deceiver. If you know the story of Jacob, then you know that from the moment he tricked his older brother out of the birthright, his life became one giant spider web of lies. The entire narrative of Genesis that covers his life is basically one large story showing how lying ruined his life. He was always weaving his way in and out of a lie. Always looking over his shoulder. Always wanting to know if his brother was around. Miserable life. Here's the problem with lying. After we tell the first lie, we have to start doubling down on our lies in order to cover up our first lie. We have to cover our tracks. We have to be constantly looking over our shoulder. We have to be constantly clearing our history. We have to be constantly deleting text message threads. We have to go to bed every night making sure we haven't forgotten anything that would blow our cover. You tell me, is that a life that is abundant? Jesus came to give life that is abundant. Is that abundant? No, that's bondage, friend. Lying strangles the joy and the peace right out of your soul. That's why when somebody comes clean from a lie, they often testify of being relieved. Why? Because they no longer feel weighted down with trying to stay on top of their lies. It is wearisome trying to remember your story. It's wearisome trying to cover your tracks. Those are some pretty good reasons for why Christians should pursue truth telling. God hates it. It's contradictory to his very nature and it leads to bondage. Let's talk about the last question of the sermon tonight. How do we nurture truth telling in our souls? It's not enough just to know we shouldn't 
violate this command. It's not enough that in the back part of our mind saying, that was a good reminder, pastor. I need to do better at not lying. No, it's, it goes deeper than that. How do we, by habit, become a truth teller? How do we nurture this in our souls to where this is a part of our character, where lying just doesn't happen very often? Two ways. Nurture truth telling by loving others. I base this out of Romans 13, which speaks directly to this, even ties in the ninth command to love. Pay close attention to these verses. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Here's the ninth command. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he explains his bottom line. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What would cause a person in the book of Exodus who is to stand in a courtroom and be the sole witness against his neighbor? What would cause that person to tell the truth and only the truth, even if it didn't benefit him? Love for his neighbor. That's the only thing that would motivate this guy. If he had ill will toward his neighbor, then he would not be motivated to tell the truth. Paul's telling us we should tell the truth because we love our neighbor. Love is the, is the first fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned in Paul's list to the Galatians. That means it's foundational to everything we do or choose not to do in life. Love is foundational to everything we choose to say and everything we choose to withhold. Love is the filter. Think about this. You don't love someone when you slander them. You do not love someone when you gossip about them. That is not, that is not motivated by love for that person. Even if something is true, love keeps you from repeating it unnecessarily. Peter says love covers the multitude of sins. If you really love your neighbor, you're going to do everything you can to not repeat what you heard about that person. Even if it's true. You don't love the brother or sister who confronts you when you explain away your sin. Brother or sister loves you enough to come and try to keep you accountable and, 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 and tries to help you. If you've strayed or whatever the case might be. If you love that brother or sister, love motivates you to welcome their accountability, even if it hurts initially. Not lie your way out of it. The reverse is true as well. If your brother or sister in Christ is straying in sin and you remain silent for the sake of not wanting to judge them, that's not love. Any more than if you were to just turn the other way if your three-year-old was running out into the middle of Main Street. You would never call that parent loving. But yet Christians look toward another Christian running towards the main street of sin and we just look the other way. And our culture has conditioned us to think that we're loving when we do that. Because after all, God's the only judge. That's the most unloving thing another Christian can do. It's also unloving, by the way, to go to a a straying Christian and condemn them. That's very unloving. To look down on them, that's very unloving. But to ignore the fact that they're ruining their life and just let them ruin their life, that is incredibly cruel. That's a way of lying. 
If you love others, pride won't cause you to exaggerate about your goodness to get an advantage over them. You won't compete with that guy or that girl at work in deceitful ways so that you look better to the boss because you love them. If you love others, you won't make up false things or adjust the truth to hurt them. See, the fundamental application of the ninth commandment is to not lie in any way that would hurt your neighbor. Rather, love them as Christ loves you. Spirit-filled love in your heart is what nurtures truth-telling in your soul. Number two, and we'll be done, nurture truth-telling by trusting God. After we boil it all down, I believe the number one reason we lie is because we don't trust God. Yeah, we don't trust God to bless the truth, even though he said he'll bless the truth. So we lie. We don't trust God to see us through the consequences of our sin. So we lie to avoid the consequences. We don't trust God to help us build strong relationships on truth. So we lie and we flatter to gain acceptance and trust with the group of people we want to be accepted by. We don't trust God to provide for us, so we lie to get what we need. See, where we lie the most is where we trust God the least tonight. Where we're tempted to lie the most is where we're tempted to trust God the least. Maybe that's why Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In other words, when you fail to trust God with all your heart, then you start leaning on your own understanding. What does that mean? Well, you start lying. Part of leaning on your own understanding is twisting the truth for, in, your, in your favor, spinning the truth, exaggerating the truth, only telling half of the truth, flattering somebody or slandering somebody or gossiping about something, doing whatever you have to do to protect your image because you can't trust God to take care of that for you. Instead, Psalmist says, trust God with all your heart. That's what will give you the confidence to tell the truth, even when it's hard and even when the truth doesn't benefit you. You love others and you trust God. And that's what will nurture truth telling in your soul. It's not by going out of the auditorium and saying, you know what? I'm not going to lie tomorrow. Well, good luck with that. Because you are by nature a liar. And so am I. You know what you need to really, really walk out of here asking God to help you do? Love your neighbor. How do you have that kind of love? Be filled with the Spirit of God. Ask God to help you to trust Him when you're triggered to lie because it's the only thing you can say to get out of this or whatever the case might be. Say, God, help me to remember in that moment that I need to trust you to bless the truth even if the truth gets me in trouble. Even if the truth puts me in a tough situation, God honors truth tellers. He honors truth tellers. Can I close with just three application points? Be a truth finder. Write that down. Be a truth finder. What do I mean? Be willing to do your own research. This will really help us. When you hear something or read something, look to secondary sources. Rather than simply repeating what an article or someone else has said. If it's true, listen, you should be able to discover it yourself through research of sources more than, you know, that are more credible than an internet blog or a podcast. Be careful about it. Be a truth finder. Don't just be gullible. 
Especially when it's being said about other people that are created in the image of God. Number two, be a truth teller. Telling the truth means thinking and saying the best about people. Have a charitable interpretation of their actions. Rather than being suspicious of their motives this week, put the best construction on what they've said and done. Don't spin the truth. Don't develop the narrative to benefit you. Just be a truth teller. Number three, be a truth garter. A truth garter. I want you to hear me. One of the great sins in a string of lies, you know what it is? It's complicity. But you know what Solomon said in the book of Proverbs? He, he encourages us to drive away false talk with an angry countenance. Now, I'm not sure how else to take that other than people shouldn't think it's okay to gossip or slander in your presence by the way you look at them. By the way your countenance changes whenever the conversation goes in a direction that you're uncomfortable with. People should know, oh, they're not the type of person to say this to. But if your countenance welcomes, it welcomes slander. People are comfortable complaining to you. Then the problem doesn't just lie in the one who is spreading that which is false. The problem is also in the one that is remaining silent. Guard truth, but by standing up for the truth. And refuse to be complicit with anything less than the truth. Amen? Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you find yourself getting away with small little lies? Do you? Like if some, if some acts of deceit seem harmless, it's simply because your conscience has been desensitized to something God hates. Is that you tonight? Can I ask you this? Do you gossip? The primary application of the command is to not communicate false information. But on top of that, don't do so to hurt someone else's reputation. That's what gossip does. Are you guilty of that? Let me ask you this. This will help diagnose if if maybe you're violating the ninth command. Are you confrontable? Can people in your life challenge you? A spouse, a Christian, a friend, a pastor, a perceptive child? Or do you always manage to explain away some perceived faults or mistakes that might indicate that you're in some form lying to benefit yourself? Let me ask you this. Are you more concerned with how you're perceived than how you really are? That might lead you to live a lie, and that's a bad habit to get into. How about this one? Are you honest with others in confessing your sin? When's the last time you had a conversation with someone else in the spirit of James 5, 16? Confess your faults one to another so that you can pray for each other. When's the last time you actually confessed to somebody you trust and love? I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? Do you use speech to manipulate other people? See, if we tell the truth, people won't always do what we want them to do. But if everyone is in the palm of your hand, if you know how to get what you want out of others, then you're using your words as a curse, not a blessing. And God hates that. He hates it. 
So wouldn't you admit after really a broader view of the ninth command where we zoom out and look at how it can really apply to us, don't you see how it doesn't just happen in the courtroom? But it happens in the living room, in the bedroom, in the break room, in the office, in the foyer, in the nursery, in the auditorium, on your cell phone, on social media. Do you see this? So this tells us we're all guilty. All guilty. But aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ, if you trust in him, has made you righteous? If you haven't trusted in him, then watch your lying. Lying. I'm saying this because I love you. If you haven't trusted him, lying will send you to hell. One lie makes you not right with the father. One lie. One lie that has not been covered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ will make you not fit for heaven. That's why you need to trust in Jesus and his blood and his mercy and his righteousness. It will cover, it will cover your sin. If you're a believer tonight and you know that some of this has kind of hit you, I just want to invite you to pray about that tonight. Come to an altar. Well, if, if, if I come to an altar, people will know I'm struggling with lying. Well, if you don't, then we'll know you're lying too. <laughs> We're all guilty. All guilty. In some way, you can act like you're not, but we all are. And so let's just ask God, help me to love my neighbor. Help me to trust in you in those really tight situations so that I'm not tempted to bend the truth, tell half the truth, exaggerate the truth, or anything like that. Amen? Stand to your feet.